what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. What you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson, I, and this is Chris Fry. I'm going to go ahead and give our titles together since we oh, share them here. Save, saves me some words. <laughs> uh, we're both uh, directors and founders of the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival and co-host of the podcast you're listening to. How are you doing, Chris? I am doing well. I'm excited because Oscar nominations have been announced, so that's they were announced uh, as of time. three days ago, I believe. So yes, hot off the presses. Yeah. That we'll be, we will be discussing Oscar nominations for the upcoming uh, Academy Award uh, ceremony here later in the episode. For, so make sure you stick around to hear us talk about some of our reactions to some of the categories of nominations. Uh, but this is our film review and discussion show as well. And, and being in the review part of the show, we have two films that we'll be reviewing for you today. First up will be Aaron Sorkin written and directed film starring Nicole Kidman as Lucille Ball. It is Being the Ricardos on Amazon Prime. Then we'll be reviewing the film Come On, Come On starring Joaquin Phoenix and Woody Norman um, directed by Mike Mills. We'll be direct discussing those two films in a review. Then, as I mentioned, the Oscar nominations. We'll have that in our news section. We might, Chris, if we have some time, maybe talk about a couple new trailers. We'll see if we can squeeze that in. Uh, have a little quick discussion on those. Always so, uh, fun. Always fun. And then we're going to end up the show with our recommendation uh, portion of the show where we try to give some recommendations. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I've got none today. So, okay. Chris, it's going to be all you. So it the is pressure's the, on me. It is the Chris Fry recommendation show. Get to hear what Chris wants to recommend to us for this episode, hmm. a film he thinks we ought to check out. Normally, Chris, your recommendations just build my watch list of things I need to see, <laughs> things Fair I enough. never get to. So uh, I'm still anxious to see what I'm going to add to that watch list from you today. So looking forward to that. But Chris, let's go ahead and get started with the reviews that we've got. First up, we have the review of the film Being the Ricardos. I am the biggest asset in the portfolio of the Columbia Broadcasting System. The biggest asset in the portfolio of Philip Morris Tobacco Westinghouse. Roll sound. Let's do our show. I get paid a fortune to do exactly what I love doing. Um, they got their money's work. Pictures up. I work side by side with my husband, who is genuinely impressed by me. And all I have to do to keep it is kill for 36 weeks in a row. Okay, let's go. And then do it again the next year. You know, I did this show so Desi and I could be together. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the show. And being the Ricardos hit Amazon Prime, for me, it was with kind of a little, very little fanfare. I knew it was there, but I was trying to rush to do a lot of end of the year films. And 
I actually didn't fit in being the Ricardos. I'd heard that Nicole Kidman was cast as Lucille Ball. There was a little bit of controversy around that at first. Apparently, people didn't know if she could pull it off. The comedic stuff specifically. Um, A lot of people were upset that Javier Bardem wasn't naturally Cuban, and that was he was going to be the part of Ricky Ricardo. But I didn't really pay attention to any of that. I didn't pay attention to the film. Then, lo and behold, this week, as you mentioned in the introduction of the show, the Oscar nominations came out. Being the Ricardos got not one, not two, but three Oscar nominations. Um, so they got one for Nicole Kidman for her portrayal of Lucille Ball. Javier Bardem got one for his Ricky Ricardo um, role. And then, out of nowhere, which I wasn't even aware, he was even in this movie. <laughs> J.K. Simmons got one for his part, supporting part, in Being the Ricardos. So all that to say, Alan, you and I now have watched the film. Uh, what was your impression of Being the Ricardos? And um, was it more than maybe what you had thought going in, considering there wasn't a lot of buzz around it? And then mm-hmm. now it's got Oscar nominations. What did you think of it? Yeah, I, I kind of went into this the same way I think you did. And that I, I, I was intrigued by the project when I heard it was announced and, and heard the casting. But it also just, it, it did kind of just limp on the scene, you know, and I'm on Amazon Prime. I didn't really hear, you didn't hear a lot of people talking about it, didn't seem to get a lot of, a lot of real good buzz until these nominations came out. And I think that kind of prompted us to say, all right, well, I think we need to go back and at least give this a shot and check it out. Um, all right, so Chris, you know, I, I'm a sucker for films or shows or series that have to do with behind the scenes of film and TV production. Okay. Love it. it is. I have several genres of films, Chris, you know this yes. about me that I love. This is one of them. Anything that has to do with behind the scenes of the making of a show or a film and, and, and kind of the drama that goes on beyond behind the, the other, scenes. The other category being talking, talking animals. animals. Okay, right. mm-hmm. okay. And then the third one being the giant, uh, giant monsters destroying cities. Gotcha. Okay. That's kind of the three. <laughs> All of my, my favorite film experiences can kind of fall into one of those three buckets. Gotcha. Um, so on the paper, this, this looks like a good good win for me, Aaron Sorkin. I'm 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 going to go on record saying I'm I'm a fan. Um, Are you a fan of his writing or a fan of his directing? Well, I mean, I will say Molly's Game, which was a film he wrote and directed. And I thought you very recommended good. it on the show, and yes. then I then caught up and liked it as well. Thought it was very good. Okay, The Trial of Chicago Seven uh, wasn't great, but it wasn't bad either. I mean, it was serviceable for yes. for what it did. Um. So, you know, I kept hoping and thinking, oh, yeah, if Molly's game is kind of my, my benchmark of what mm-hmm. I want out of an Aaron Sorkin per, uh, written and directed film, right? then that, that's the goal I'm shooting for. Uh, sorry to say for me, being the Ricardos was definitely more of the trial of Chicago 7, maybe even less than that um, for some reasons I can get into. Uh, it, it did not work for me as much as I had hoped it would. Um, and I think there's some very specific reasons for this. Chris, we always talk about the idea of when you have a film that is portraying, uh, telling the story, a real life story, real people, yes. historical events, whatever it may be. question you kind of have to ask yourself, or at least I do, after watching is, would I have been better served watching a documentary about this? Mm. Yeah, I kind of feel like that was the case here. Um, I felt like the writing is 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 sharp i think there's some great dialogue in this is in this film i think the acting i'm going to say it the acting was all really good okay, i thought the acting was good but i just don't feel like there was enough reason for this to be a movie um in itself 
And there's some moments, some cliches, some overwritten Sorkin moments that I think just did not work. There's a couple of framing devices in the film we can go into that I also did not think worked at all. Um, so it was a, it was a clumsy film. It, 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 and at the end of the day, yes, it was interesting. And I learned some things about the Ricardos. I learned some things about what was going on during this one tumultuous week, uh, during the production of her show when Lucille Ball was being accused of being a communist and that was how they were coping with that. It was interesting, mm-hmm. but again, could I have watched a documentary and felt like I'd gotten more out of it and, and enjoyed it more? Yes. Is this worth watching for the acting? Yes. If you want to go in and watch the acting, this is a worthwhile showcase of acting. But I needed more than just good acting. And I just don't think the script and the direction really, really held me for the film. So, Chris, that's my take on it. I'd love to hear your thoughts, though. So it sounds like, as can be often the case on this show, because um, we either agree with each other or we don't. Yeah, it's kind <laughs> it's, of a kind zero of, or one <laughs> operation here. Yeah, yeah and so. it's to varying degrees, obviously. Um, but with this film, it sounds like you and I are almost exactly on the same page. Um, okay. I'll sit here and we'll see if we agree on stuff. But I, right off the bat, the first thing that struck me with the film was the the acting, the mm-hmm. portrayals of, you know, the the three that I mentioned, plus one that I will mention that um, doesn't get as much, um, it gets just as much screen time as J.K. Simmons, but she was not uh, recognized or I haven't really heard a lot of people talking about her. And that's Nina Arianda as Vivian Vance, which, so in the show, it's just easier to talk about them in the characters <laughs> they yeah. do on I Love Lucy. So they're Ethel and what's that, Fred, Merch, yes. they're the next door neighbors. So, you know, Lucy Ball, Lucy and Desi are important because they have to do Lucy and Ricky, you know, and they are key in the film. But, you know, because there's so much behind the scenes stuff, you really see a lot of um, J.K. Simmons and Nina, Ar- Nina Aranda, like kind of talking about stuff and really showing like how they have mm-hmm. to work together and some differences they may have. And I really thought that was really fascinating. And we've talked in the past when you do biopics, which I guess you could kind of say this is or historical thing, which this obviously is, it's often good if you can take like just a section. And in this case, like you mentioned, they do a week. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, this is fascinating. And they, you know, put Monday, Tuesday, and they do a progression through the week. And I really like that of all the things they're dealing with before they actually tape the show and go live and stuff. I really liked all of that. And I was like, man, this is gonna be awesome. But something that threw me off very early on was they had some people who at first... I didn't recognize as being actors and they were addressing the camera and it's like they were being interviewed for a documentary. <laughs> yes. And I thought, Oh, well that's interesting. I wasn't aware that was going to happen in this film, but it is a historical event. That's cool. But then I forget it's the lady. I'm sorry. I don't know your name. I should maybe you'll be Linda Lavin. Yes. Thank you. I know her from Alice, Alice. <laughs> I yeah. was gonna say, which was another like sitcom thing that, you know, newer than I love Lucy, but cause I grew up with it, but yeah, when I saw her as one of the people, I was like, wait a second. She's not contemporary with Lucille Ball. What, what's going on here? And I was like, oh, uh, okay. Well, uh, okay. And I just kind of like <laughs> passed it off. But there were little things like that that really ended up kind of derailing the film for yeah. me because it, you know, Sorkin, I think it, his strength is he is a good writer. He can do some good dialogue. He can set up some situations, whether they're truly based on fact or kind of manipulated he can tell a really good story, but in this, I think it was just a little bit too much with this script. And then because he was directing it and not somebody else, I think if there had been another director, they could have kind of 
whittled it down a little bit and said, mm-hmm. well, this stuff isn't quite working or they could have shaped it so that it could have worked. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about the, the framing device sure. you just mentioned it. Cause that really bugged me. <laughs> okay. I, um, did it bug you right off or did it, it, it bugged it, me pretty early on. Well, first off, you know, the very first shot of the film we see is, is it's a documentary style interview head, head and shot holding shoulders interview with somebody that you get the title underneath them. I mean, you, it starts like a documentary and they are like, you can tell they're older. So it's like, they are yeah. reflecting back. Okay. I mean, and again, I'm watching this at home cause it's an Amazon prime film. My immediate reaction is, Oh, did I click the wrong button? <laughs> did I click the Desi Arnaz or Lucille ball documentary by accident? Sure. So that was a little, a little bit thrown off, but I'm okay with that. You know, throw me off a little bit. At the beginning of the film is no problem. Um, and then as they kept using these, the, they would cut like maybe three or four times in the film, they would cut to these documentary style meant to be, or meant to portray the real person. Cause they even have their title and name underneath them. Right. Like a documentary. Um, but you start to realize, or at least, yeah, I did kind of early on when I noticed uh, Linda Lavin playing one of the people, I'm like, all right, yeah, she's an actress. And the fact that their dialogue was so scripted, it just was really kind of painful. It's like, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to go that conceit and I love the idea of merging in some documentary footage with your film then make it documentary footage. I mean, the idea of trying to fake make documentary footage with a known actress that we're going to recognize trying to play off like she's the real person. It's just, it just was messy and it just, and it was so stilted. The dialogue, they kind of bounced off each other. They cut in between different documentary people. And it's like one would start a sentence and the other one would finish it. It's like, okay, that's getting a little too clever for, for what this film needs. And they would also like, make jokes off the fact that they were bouncing because one person would recall something one yeah, way and then right. they would bounce. It's yeah, it's so just, overscripted yeah, it was, right. and it just, okay. it lost everything for me. So that whole conceit did not work. Um, so that's, that's bad. That was, that did not work. I did like the framing of it. Like you described of it being a one week in the production, you know, there it goes from the table read on day one, all the way to the actual uh, air, uh, recording of the show on day seven. I really like that. But all that was used is just as a springboard to then go into extended flashback sequences that kind of pulled you out of that conceit. So it's like, do you remember the film, um, the Steve Jobs film that um, Danny, uh, Danny Boyle, Boyle did? did? Yeah, yeah. Just and where it was all staged on those three like keynote speeches that he was doing. Yes. You, you never left those keynote speeches, like you were still backstage and all that, but through the dialogue and through all of what was happening, you understood what the backstory was. You understood kind of what had transpired or where the characters were at this point. To me, this was just pretty kind of sloppy. It was like, all right, yeah, we're going to use this seven day as a great way to kind of tell, compress our story into a one week period, but we're still going to spend over 50% of the film flashing back to all the other periods of time in their relationship together, the formation of the show and all that. Again, it's interesting information, but it's like you kind of lost the whole point of the conceit that you, you set up with. I think there's a story where you could have kept it within that seven day period mm-hmm. and you learn everything from dialogue and from interactions with each other without having to depend on, well, now we're going to flash back for 20 minutes for, to, to fill you in on everything that's happened in the past with these characters, you so know? That, so that's, in, that's interesting because yeah. You, so yeah, he wrote the screenplay for Steve jobs, but yet Danny Boyle directed it. Yeah. And so with this, like kind of, yeah. because I think, yeah, it's, it's a very ambitious screenplay because it's using the 
fake documentary thing, which you and I didn't care for. Mm -hmm. Then it's doing the construct construct of one week, but it's also then cramming in flashback. And it's like, it's just too much. It's a lot. It's just too much. I think there's a film that could have been really interesting focusing on just that one week period of time. And really like digging deep into it. Mm -hmm. And you learn what you need to learn about the characters from their current interactions and their current dynamics. Um, Not to say that I didn't find some of the backstory and flashbacks interesting. Sure. And again, I'm still generally intrigued by the story that we're hearing and we're being told. I just think it was at the end of the day, I still said, you know, the only reason I would have watched this other than just watching a good documentary about, about these characters is I do feel like the acting was really good. And that's the only thing that kind of drew me to the film outside of, you know, the information that I was learning that I could have gotten to none of those chores. So, so, um, I have a positive that I do want mm-hmm. to bring up, but before I do that, sure. part, cause I, I, like, got a few I more like to kind of end on positives. Yeah. I have a, a negative that, um, bothered me sure. from almost the get go. And I want to see how you kind of felt about it, see if it mm-hmm. even register with you. Um, Nicole Kidman, yeah. her early scenes, I don't know whether it was through makeup or to make her look younger so we could see her like progress or something. I'm not sure what was going on. I'd have to rewatch the film and really like give it a scene by scene analysis or whether they were doing CGI, but kind of like the Irishman type mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. But, um, and the way they manipulate people's ages and stuff there, but it was distracting to me hmm. because it was so, it, I, I knew it was going into the film. I knew Nicole Kidman was, was Lucille Ball, but it was so distracting to me because it didn't look like her. It looked yeah. so like weird and it bothered me. Uh, um, I didn't notice you didn't pick, that. Okay. No, I didn't pick up. Maybe it was just, maybe it was just me. And to a certain extent, they did it a little bit, very little with Javier Bardem. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically they, and I think one time he was on a movie set, so that made sense because they put makeup on him, you know, yeah. because he was on a movie set. Um, and maybe that could be the excuse from Nicole Kidman. I didn't think about that at the scenes where we first saw her; she was about to go on on screen for the television show. But it it bothered me. But I think what also made it stand out for me was that um, J.K. Simmons was to me was just so natural in how he looked, and mm-hmm. I guess he just like completely looked like Fred Mertz to me. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess sometimes I wish. And they're good. I, it's kind of a hang up for me. Like if the actor and actresses are good enough, which I think both of them are, they don't have to be a dead ringer. Oh no. For Lucille Ball. Let their performance just do it. And if the performance is good enough, it doesn't matter how close they well, look. Here's like the, the thing. I don't, I mean, I don't think Javier Bardem looks like <laughs> Desi Arnaz at all. Okay. He definitely doesn't have the body built. He's oh, a I mean, just a, just a completely different look to right, him. Right, and, sure. But it didn't bother me because he's a good actor. Right. Um, Lucille Ball, yes. I mean, there is a lot of makeup involved because she's, you know, a stage actor. She's a, a performer and right. she's about to go on, on scene a lot of times that we see her. So I can see there being some. It just it bothered uh, me back a little and bit forth because I thought. For example, one of the things I thought was amazing in Nicole Kidman's performance, I think she got a lot of the facial things and a lot of the, and her voice. Oh, the voice was perfect. I thought was amazing. Yeah. And I think it was just like, yeah, just let her do her thing. Don't Mm. put all this other stuff to try to like take the performance to a next level. Just let it be. Yeah. Natural. I will say with Nicole Kidman's performance, I thought she was really, really good. I thought she was too. Now I will say this. A lot of people that you you alluded to, there being some some blowback from people about you know, her being cast as Lucille Ball and her not maybe having the physical uh, humor and, and 
they did temper her opportunity to show physical humor a lot more through this film. I mean, really the only time she got to kind of be the the Lucille ball that we're kind of used to seeing on TV. I think there were like two scenes from a, the, the show, the grapes, and then another one in a dining room scene yeah. that they, that we saw reenactments of. And Which she got I, to be I that. liked those. No, they were good. I they were really good. Yeah. And I thought, I thought Kidman was great in it, but the other 95% of the time in the movie She's not this, you know, uh, manic physical humor person. I mean, she's funny, but it's all through more, a lot of dry humor, a yeah. lot more who she really was. Right. So I think Nicole Kidman was a good fit for all that other role, the behind the scenes Lucille Ball that you know we're not used to seeing. She did fine. She did good in the on screen Lucille Ball persona. But I think that's another reason that made her a good choice for it is that I think I think Sorkin and everybody knew we need Lucy, this this actress to be Lucille Ball like she is in real life, not just the way she is in front of the camera. Right. And Nicole Kidman was a good fit for that. So um, a couple more I'll call out. I really liked Tony Hale in the <laughs> film. Uh, Tony Hale was playing uh, Jess Oppenheimer, and uh, he was really good. We also had uh, Aaliyah Shawkat. Uh, as Madeline Pugh, you may know her from Arrested Development. Or Tony Hill's uh, from that as well. They, right? they were. So there's a lot of reunions going on in this, in this <laughs> show. So. Um, so, yeah, so some good performances. Again, I think this film is worth watching for the acting and the performances that are there. And I think because it is an interesting story about a very famous couple and a very famous TV show in a very interesting time period that it was going through. Outside of that, if you really have no interest in learning anything about uh, the Ricardos or the I Love Lucy show, and if you don't really care to see the uh, the acting showcase, I don't feel like there's really much else reason to see this film. And uh, there's nothing that really stands out. And the ending, the, the I'm just going to say the the phone call in front of an audience, I. I, I need but to read it, up and see. I don't know. Or but is, it, that a, is that a Sorkinism? <laughs> it seemed like such a Sorkinism. And I need to read up and see. I mean, if it's true, it's true. It just seemed like this whole ex- drama that they were going through for the week kind of got resolved pretty easily pretty with one little tiny thing. And then everybody's like, oh, yeah, cool. We're good. We're good. Everybody's <laughs> happy now. And all we had to do was do this one little move in front of an audience of a hundred people right. and the world is better and everybody's saved. And it just seemed very convenient and very pat. And I, I it was kind of left me a little bit of a bad note on the film too. So um, mm-hmm. that being said, I think there's enough reasons to check this film out, but uh, it just personally was not a great fit for me, but um, I, I think there's an audience out there. Unfortunately, I just don't think a lot of people still see it. Sure. Now I think the nominations will help get a little bit more attention to it, but uh it's still, you know, kind of buried in Amazon Prime uh, right now. It's uh, tough to kind of get an audience there. I so I'll end on a on a positive because um, I've you know dragged the film for a bunch of things, but I've talked about how I liked various performances, but I didn't really haven't really focused on um, anything specifically about Javier Bardem. Which at first I was just like, oh, you know, he's okay, he can do the accent of Ricky Ricardo. But other than that, I was like, eh. mm. there's a scene that was a standout scene for him, for me that maybe they can show on the Oscars. I'd have to think about how they would edit it. Um, but he kind of channels the menace of Anton Chigurh while he's telling a TV executive, Tony Hale, Mm -hmm. don't plagiarize me again. I'll reach down through your throat and pull your lungs out. (laughs) 
And it was just like, whoa, because he does it with a smile on his face. And then all of a sudden he just shifts. Mm -hmm. And then he walks off and a telephone call is received or a telegram from Philip Morris. And it like delivered. And he does a certain reaction move, like a little bit of a dance, let's say, Mm -hmm. kind of off in the distance. And I was like, oh, wow. Yep. That's. That's that's good. <laughs> no, really Javier, like, Javier Bardem was having a lot of fun oh, in yeah. this film. He really he got to go from one moment being, a, you know, a, a song and dance uh, kind of in a, in a like a little nightclub performance mm-hmm. uh, or on a TV set, and then flip over and get to play uh, a little more menacing at times too. So yeah, and it was a it was a good role. I thought that was fun. again for the acting. I think this sure. film is absolutely worthwhile watching, and uh, I wish I could say it was for the script. Or for the direction, but there just wasn't a lot there for for me on that. So it was a um, it's a very mixed review for me. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. All right. Well, that is being the Ricardos. Did I get that right? Yes. I kept wanting to call it Meet the Ricardos, Meet the Ricardos. but it is being the Ricardos on Amazon Prime. Uh, it's available now, and it will be available for ever on Amazon. I guess I don't <laughs> sure. know. They don't really have release schedules or anything. So, uh, it is there worth checking out. I think for certain aspects, if, if, if our discussion in any way inspired you to think that maybe, uh, this is a good fit for you, uh, you'll probably have some good enjoyment from it and, uh, recommend you check it out. Okay. So let's move on to our second film review, Chris. It is the film. Come on, come on. To visit planet Earth, you will have to be born as a human child. At first, you'll have to learn to use your new body to move your arms and legs. You will learn to walk and run, to use your hands to make sounds and form words. There will be so much for you to learn and so much for you to feel. Sadness, joy, disappointment and wonder you will grow up travel and work over the years you will try to make sense of that happy sad full always shifting life you're in and when the time comes to return to your star it may be hard to say goodbye to that strangely beautiful world damn this book you're crying no i'm not yes you are you're definitely crying see you're crying (laughs) in come on come on director and writer mike mills tells us a story of a woman who has a son uh, and when the woman finds out that she needs to leave to go care for her husband, who's going through quite an ordeal, uh, she needs someone to look after her son. Well, enter her brother, who's a radio journalist, who is already someone who travels quite a bit, uh, spending time interviewing uh, people, mostly kids, for an NPR-type journalist show that he produces. But he becomes the caretaker for this period of time uh, for this young boy. And the film follows them around on their travels and as they develop the relationships with one another and get to explore the ups and downs of, uh, quote, parenthood, fatherhood, and a little bit of a love letter towards motherhood along the way as well. So, Chris, uh, come on, come on. We showed for our film society uh, group just over the last couple of nights. And um, 
anxious to hear from you, your thoughts on this film. I know you and I have talked about this one before. I'll just go and pull back the curtain. Most of the time, Chris and I get together, we have not talked about the films we're reviewing. So just like being the Ricardos, we had not discussed it. However, come on, come on. We have discussed a little bit because we saw it a while back as part of a screening process. Uh, I just like to hear uh, and seeing it again, like you did. Um, tell me where you are now on this film. Tell me, tell me your thoughts, takeaways. Does the film work for you? Are there some misgivings? Anything you can share? So it's interesting. This film uses a style that we could kind of throw back, except you, you don't know whether or not it's authentic looking in the credits. I think I could tell that it was authentic, but it uses what could be considered to be documentary type portions in the middle of the film. You mentioned that uh, Joaquin Phoenix's character is a radio journalist. So he does go around the country and interview young people on their thoughts of where they are now, where they see themselves in the future, what do they think about the world today, all these kind of semi-heavy topics in a very like this American life, Ira Glass type way, like you mentioned with NPR. And those instances, because I looked in the credits, I think they are legitimate interviews, not with kid actors, but just with some people, some young people, some young adults. Um, but I think they're very effective and they didn't pull me out of the story. Like we were saying, the fake documentary stuff did with being mm-hmm. the Ricardos. Um, and I think knowing that was the construct of the film when I saw it the second time, I think that helped me appreciate a lot more of what was being done. Mm-hmm. Um, I think overall the story, the first time of him bonding with, um, his nephew, Jesse, is his name in the film, Woody Norman. It felt a little bit slighter to me. Like it was just kind of convenient to have that. And they they were really interested in kind of the documentary stuff, more his job as a journalist. And they were just using that to try to give the story some arc, I mm-hmm. guess, because, you know, he's he doesn't know what to do with Jesse at first. And, of course, then they bond and then the resolution of the film. This time, though, I felt the two really – worked together kind of commenting on one another mm-hmm. a lot better than I realized um, or I felt the first time through watching it. What was your, what was your take on it? So when you and I talked about this film, probably like over a month ago, um, I was, I was, I was very middling on it. Okay. I, I, I didn't feel like it really worked for me. Uh, I, I, just didn't really get much out of it. And, and even though I love the cinematography, the black and white cinematography you should talk about that. And overall, I like the concept of the film. I like the idea of the film. It just didn't hold me. I found it to be pretty lifeless at okay. the time. But Chris, this is an example of why we need to be very mindful and careful of how and when we watch movies. Ah. I was watching a screener copy uh, which was already on a DVD, which DVDs like old, older traditional DVDs on a larger screen TV do not look very good. Gotcha. Uh, watching it at home in a couch where I can easily doze off and, <laughs> and fall asleep comfortably sure. with some interruptions around the house and all those other things. I realized looking back, it was not a great viewing experience and it did, I think affect my ability to really appreciate the film watching it in a true darkened theater the other night with an audience solely focused on the film and able to experience it. And it's true the way it looks on the screen. 
Um, yeah, I love this movie. I think it's great. I, I wow. cannot believe how I came around on this. Okay. And about 20 minutes into this film watching it, I, I'm, I'm saying to myself, yeah, why did I not connect with this film before? <laughs> I don't understand why this film did not work for me before, other than it just has to be environment and timing mm. and, and everything else. No, I, I I think this is great. I love it so much. I uh, Everything that I felt like was missing on my first viewing somehow worked this second viewing, almost to just my, to my complete surprise most of the way through the film. I um, Maybe it's a little bit of the fact that, I mean, you and I both have sons. You know, you mm-hmm. have a son. I have three of them. And um, so there's a little bit of that where we can at least have some relate to it. I think we relate to the age of the child. He's supposed to be about nine years old in the film. Um, it just, uh, I will say this, the, the use of music plus literature. Oh yes. That's yeah. an interesting, but we should bring, yeah, definitely the that. use of music plus literature plus the black and white cinematography plus just such a natural uh, performance, especially by Woody Norman. I think the young kid is really good. Hmm. It just the whole thing worked for me. I uh, got a little dusty towards the end. I, I I think I think it I think it nails the ending as well, which mm. is something I feel like this. I was fearful that it was going to end on a very just kind of abrupt note, which is what a film like this I would expect to have happen. But no, they they let you have a a pretty nice ending. I think a nice closure to it, and I think a nice. So it just it worked on all the levels I needed it to work, and uh, yeah. So, Chris, what are some what are some some you want to call it? You like to do strengths last. So, what well, are some, what are some misgivings? Are there some things about the film that did not work for you specifically? Some- well, I'd mentioned the thing that didn't work for me originally was the whole. I felt the the uncle nephew thing. You know, we've seen that type of thing before. It's mm-hmm. kind of like he's a fish out of water because he doesn't know how to be this dad for the nephew. You know, and mm-hmm. take him on, and they have to learn how to work with each other, and they have these idiosyncrasies. And I felt like. Maybe that was a little bit of a put on the first time I saw it, but the second time I kind of appreciated it more, and I like how it echoed um, what happened in the what was being said in the interviews. Yeah, um, I think too because I I could we just came off talking last episode about Belfast mm-hmm. and the 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 kid that was in that the little kid, and this is another little kid. I mean, he's not. Belfast, the kid was a little bit more central to mm-hmm. the film. In this film, Woody Norman is, you know, he and Joaquin Phoenix are, you know, it's kind of the, those two. Um, I didn't warm to Woody Norman as much the first mm. time around yeah. as I think I did the second time around. Yeah. Maybe it's because I just need to see, you know, I needed to know the art going in mm-hmm. um, because he's, which I think is the point of the script. He's a lot. Oh yeah. And that's, that's, <laughs> that's the point. Lot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, I mean, yeah. and it, but it also leads me to some of the most honest moments of the film that True. I think really made me connect. So the mother played by uh, uh, Gabby Hoffman. Yeah, she's great. She is really good. And some of my favorite moments in the film are <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, yeah. Having to call her <laughs> almost like a check in at the end of every night to like say, OK, this is what's going on. This is what like happened today. How do I deal with this? You know, trying to like get her advice and her having to like kind of coach him through, you know, well, this is what he was doing and this is what this means. And here's what you ought to go say to him tomorrow to fix it type of thing. <laughs> I love that. It was just like little coaching, you know, the role. And then the honesty that she's able to share as well about sure. being a mother. She's like, look, you know, there are times I hate him. You know, there are times that he is just 
too, I can't, I don't want to deal with him. I don't right. want to see him, right. but I love him more than anything in the world. And, you know, I, so it's like, it's just honesty was just so nice to hear. And I think, you know, they even have some playful banter about, you know, kind of a joke about the role of a mother in society. And, yeah. you know, uh, it's just a really funny bit. You know, Joaquin Phoenix's character is like, you know, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but, uh, you know, trying to be a parent and work a full-time job is really, really difficult. You know, it's like just it all played for humor and right. it's just, but it is true. It just brings up such a great point. That's why I think the film ultimately is a real love letter to motherhood because mm. I do think, you know, we don't really explore. I mean, the father's, the father's got his own issues. He's having to, having to deal with. He's right. a good father from what we can tell the best of the ability he can be given right. his situation and his, his ailments he's dealing with. Um, the mother's the glue having to hold it together. Joaquin Phoenix gets the easy role of just getting to play the uncle. Right. And it's a f- completely foreign to him, he, but he's constantly needing his sister's advice and motivate and encouragement to, to, to do this and to, and to do the right thing with it. I don't know. It just, yeah, the whole dynamic of the, of the family worked for me real well. Well, I think, I mean, we're just harping on second viewing, but it's true. Um, the dynamics between Gabby Hoffman's character and Joaquin Phoenix character, I think they're the first time I wasn't really paying attention to yeah. it, but paying attention to, like you're saying, the phone calls that they have and how they're supporting mm-hmm. one another and how Joaquin Phoenix has some revelations kind of late in the film about their mother who had passed away yeah. and his relationship that didn't work out. He's kind of saying, she's like, yeah, you need to be honest. And she, mm-hmm. he was like, that's the first time you've ever said that stuff. And I, so yeah, I think it. I could see it as not just being a construct to get the movie narratively where it needed to be, but it was, it was a lot stronger than I thought. And you mentioned yeah. briefly the way they brought in like literature, and they would put mm-hmm. the titles of different books or different articles that Joaquin Phoenix's character would be reading, and he'd be doing them in monologue, and you would see things that reflect them. And that was a really clever yeah, nice. and good touch. And yeah, stuff that I just didn't, I didn't give enough credit. The first yeah. time around. I, I think, think that's where we are. I, I didn't, yeah. I don't think we gave enough credit the first time around. <laughs> and I, I do equate some of it to the viewing experience sure. and the environment I watched it in. This is a film I think you kind of have to be very engrossed in. Mm. It's not one you can watch kind of with, with other things on your mind, other things going on. You really need to pay attention to what's happening with these characters and, and the dynamics that are growing around them. And uh, I didn't give it that fair shake the first time around. So yeah. Something that I thought was I was curious the first time around, and then I have a little bit of an opinion, maybe I should say, the second time around on why they did it. But I'm wondering what your thoughts are. Um, why black and white? So this I, is a modern day story. It's yes. told like you know, it could be 2022 or 2021. Um, I, I got the impression. I mean, I've actually read about an interview where Mike Mills kind of talked about the black and white. So I'm not going to okay. even give his answer. I'm just going to say my honest first take on it was. Is I always think when I see something in black and white, it's, it's meant to give it a more timeless quality. Hmm. There's so much about this film right now that is very time specific. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, use of cell phones and travel and everything else. But I think the story at the heart, the relationships is, is a fairly timeless situation. You know, it doesn't matter what time period we're in. I think the, the, the family dynamics are, are very similar everywhere. So that's kind of the idea I got from it. What I saw in an interview with Mike Mills is it's he wanted it to be more of like a fable. He kind of saw hmm, the film as a fable, and um, that was kind of his take on why he wanted it to be black and white. So um, that's my take. You have any thoughts on it? Well, um, yeah, not knowing that he had said that specifically. Um, 
I was wondering if because of jumping around between different cities and you know, we go to New Orleans, we go to Los Angeles, we go to Detroit, we go to all these different, different we go to New York. So I love big cities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a lot of times the reason I like them is usually the cinema. You know, you just show all these cityscapes and everything, the colors and the lights and everything. And I just wondered if it was a way of kind of muting everything to focus not on the different locations, although that was important because he was bebopping around as a radio journalist, but of kind of focus you on the people yeah. and what was happening and not Could as be. much on the scenery, if that makes yeah. sense. So, um, but that's, that's interesting about um, yeah. black and white. I'll say something else that um, this is something I did here in an interview with the director, Mike Mills. Um, there's a conceit in the film or a plot point where Jesse, the young boy has this thing where at night he pretends as if he's an orphan yeah. and he goes to his mother and said, you know, I'm sorry to hear your children died. Will you let me stay here for the night? And at first Joaquin's Phoenix character is like, what is going on? But mm-hmm. he kind of comes around and is able to work with Jesse on this like comforting thing that he does for the, for his nephew. I heard Mike Mills say that that's actually something that he took from his life hmm. <laughs> because he knew yeah. a family friend or something that had a kid that did that. And that just, you know, resonated with me because, you know, kids do can kind of do some really strange things. I've never Mm -hmm. seen that particular quirk, like kids being obnoxious or loud or getting hopped up on sugar. Yeah, we've seen that on film before. (laughs) But that particular thing that was kind of really nuanced, that kid's situation, I thought was a really interesting thing. And to learn it came from Mike Mills's life that he's had, a you know, I thought that was was interesting. A little side note for you. I don't know if you knew this or not. Uh, Woody Norman, the kid. Yes. He's uh, British. Oh, wow. He pulled off an American accent the entire that's, film. That's impressive. I think that, so too. <laughs> that I, is I, really impressive, actually. Yep. I would have never guessed that. Agreed. And one of the things, you know, I mentioned first time through, I was a little sketchy mm-hmm. on maybe not Woody, just, I guess, the character or whatever. But one of my favorite things, and it was the first time through, it was like kind of a redeeming moment for the character of mm-hmm. the, uh, Woody Norman was playing, Jesse. And this time I was kind of waiting for it the whole time and it had equal amount of impact. And it was just a really clever, clever line. And it ended up, um, but it was, he was talking to Joaquin Phoenix kind of towards the close of the film. And he says, be funny, comma, when you can, <laughs> mm-hmm. period. And I'm like, that is awesome. <laughs> like that's, I think that could be on the poster, you know, underneath the, come on, come on. They could put that line. I really like him kind of what it means about everything. I really, I really appreciated that. Yeah, I agreed. Well, that is come on, come on. I'm here to say I, I was wrong. I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I definitely am happy. I saw this on a second viewing, uh, with a little bit better experience around me to watch it in. And, uh, I got so much out of it and I think it's a great film. Uh, very real, very honest, very open film and, uh, plus beautiful to look at as well. So, uh, I'm here to hold a wholeheartedly recommend come on, come on. It should. Is it available for streaming now? I think it is. I think, it, or at least it's, it's really got to be close. Yeah. yeah, I would think should be available more or less about the time this comes out, or pretty shortly afterwards. So I'm giving it a big recommendation. Chris, sounds like your second viewing was yes. also a more positive yeah, experience absolutely. too, as well. So good. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're done with our two reviews. When we come back, it's all Oscar talk for a while. We're going to go through the nominations, kind of dissect some of the bigger categories, and uh, get some overall reactions. And then we'll uh, finish up maybe with a couple trailer clips and uh, recommendations. So stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative. 
a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the TV. Alan Jackson and Chris Fry with you here. We had our reviews of Being the Ricardos and Come On, Come On on the first half of the show. Now let's turn our attention to award season. So Chris, the Academy Award nominations were announced this past Tuesday. So just a few days ago at the time of this recording. And, uh, you know, we've still got a ways to wait for the ceremony. I think it's like late March. March 27th. Yeah. So we've still got almost a month and a half before we even have the uh, the actual award ceremony. But that gives us plenty of time now to dissect and speculate on what's going to happen. So what we're going to do is we're just going to kind of take a look at a few of the categories. Just Let's just kind of explore those categories. We'll read out all the nominations and uh, just give our thoughts, you know, surprises, uh, anything we got positive from the whole uh, nomination process. If we want to give a prediction, we certainly can do that as well. So, Chris, let me start us off. I'm, I'm going to kind of hit the best supporting actress category. Okay. Um, in the best supporting actress this year on the nominations, we have Jesse Buckley for The Lost Daughter, Ariana DeBois for West Side Story, Judy Dench for Belfast. Kirsten Dunst for The Power of the Dog, and uh, uh, John uh, John and you. Uh, I'm always going to mess that name up. Yeah, it's, uh, a, it's a complicated one. Anjanu Ellis for King Richard. All right. So with that, Chris, um, any real surprises here or anything that you feel like you are leaning more towards as far as who's going to win this category? Well, see, I am happy to see um, Anjanu Ellis for King Richard because Anjanu, I remember we reviewed... That's it. Well, maybe it's it. <laughs> We reviewed that film. I remember really liking her performance, and I mm-hmm. thought she did a good job of standing toe to toe with Will Smith. Um, he plays the lead in that film, so um, I'm, I was really happy to see her. So I, don't, I guess maybe it was a little surprised, just because often it seems like "Woe is me." The people that I like don't get nominated. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, I was like, "Ooh!" When I saw her name, I was I was excited. So um, I guess that was a pleasant surprise, but maybe not for other people. Um, Dunst, Power of the Dog, no surprise there. DeBose, her West Side Story, not a surprise there. Um, I guess for me, surprises were probably Jesse Buckley and The Lost Daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Jesse Buckley. Um, she was a supporting role, obviously. That's what she was nominated for in the film, Lost Daughter. But um, I don't know. Just I hadn't heard a lot of buzz around that, so I was kind of surprised to see her. But happy to see her because she's an actress I like. I don't know that I would have necessarily pinpointed her for that performance in the film, but yeah, okay. Um Judy Dench. Love Judy Dench. Who doesn't? Um, you know, I'm kind of surprised um, mm-hmm. that she got it for Belfast. Not that she wasn't good, and it was definitely a supporting performance, and she gives a really key moment late in the film. Um, but eh, I, don't, I don't know. Um, so that, that that's kind of my initial thoughts. What are yours? I, I think this category is interesting in that, honestly, it could go several different ways. I mean, I, I, I well, don't think winter, there's a winner wise. Yeah. Gotcha. I don't think there's a hard and fast, like favorite in this category. I'd say probably just because of all the nominations that the power of the dog got 12, that, total, 12 okay. nominations. Yeah. yeah. Kirsten Dunst, I feel like is probably in my mind, the little bit leaning into the, the favorite category on this, or you have Ariana DeBois for West side story. That's the two. I feel like probably have the most going behind them. Okay. I agree with you, King Richard. I thought she, it was a great performance. Really happy to see her nominated. But also, I feel like it's kind of a long shot. You know, I, I just don't feel like that film got as much attention 
as uh, as they were all expecting. I think so, and, too. And I think the split between HBO Max and having yeah. it in theaters, it just didn't have the the momentum that I would have thought. You tell me a thing about yeah. the Williams sisters, and I'm like, oh, well, that's going to be huge. But, yeah, just it didn't quite build. Well, and, and it's not – and we're certainly not saying that box office returns ought to dictate awards. No. But it does help drive, like, awareness. Sure. And I think, you know, people's uh, kind of uh, thinking about it, which may be helping steer some of the academy in their in their selections. So uh, I think Jesse Long- Buckley's a long shot as well. So I, I kind of feel like it's between Kirsten Dunst and Ariana Du Bois. Okay. I, and that's kind of the way I feel about the awards as a whole, kind of as a predictor, is I do feel like Power of the Dog versus West Side Story. That's, to me, <laughs> going to be kind of the argument for the whole okay. the whole evening, okay? okay? So just a little predictor there, sure. getting ahead of that. All right, well, let's talk best uh, supporting actor, Chris. Who do we okay. have there? So we have uh, Syrian Hines for Belfast, Troy Kotzer for Coda, Jesse Plemons for Power of the Dog, J.K. Simmons for Being the Ricardos, and Cody Smith McPhee for The Power of the Dog. So, interesting here, um, Jesse Plemons is the husband to <laughs> um, Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. And they are both nominated for the first time for the same film. So, husband and wife team, never been nominated for an Academy Award before. They're both nominated for the first, and it's for the same movie, where they play husband and wife, mm-hmm. <laughs> interestingly enough. Um, if you want to talk about a favorite... Um, I think it could go that way um, just because of the interesting synergy and, you know, everybody likes something unique about the Oscars is if a husband and wife won their first Oscar the first time they were ever nominated for the same film where they, there's just like a lot of mm-hmm. meta stuff going on there <laughs> that I think would be fun. I don't know if that's really a reason to justify it as a favorite, but, uh, yeah. and if you, if I hadn't thought about that aspect, um, it's normally when you see two people in the same film nominated in the same category, um, Cody Smith McPhee and for supporting with Jesse Plemons. A lot of times people say neither one's going to win because yeah. they're going to cancel each other out because, you know, I, and normally, yeah, that'd be, that'd be an interesting thing, but I, I don't know. I think maybe, I don't know, maybe that could give Jesse Plemons the edge. What are your, what are your um, thoughts? I got a feeling it's going to be Syrian Hines for Belfast. Ah, okay. So you were saying West Side Story fighting Power of the Dog. But see, but West Side Story is not in this category. It's true. That's true. So Belfast is now filling in for West Side Story <laughs> okay, on this category. Okay. Because the Academy did not nominate Mike Faced for West Side Story, uh, which I felt like was a real oversight. So yes. that was Agreed. a great performance. And Agreed. disappointed he was not in the Best Supporting Actor no- uh, nomination. So that being said, and I do think there is a rule to the whole, if you've got two films in a supporting uh, actor uh, category, they're going to cancel each other out. And J.K. Simmons, I think, was kind of a long shot anyway, being the Ricardos. He was fine, but not. I thought he was really good. <laughs> yeah, it was good. It was an entertaining role, but. Uh, That's the thing when we were watching films, like we mentioned, that was the whole reason we reviewed being the Ricardos because we didn't bother to see it. These nominations come out, and it's interesting to go into the film with that knowledge, like, okay, yeah. prove, prove yeah, to me why you prove, got this Prove buddy. to me why you got this nomination, <laughs> so. yeah. So I, I do think it's going to be Syrian Hines for Belfast. Really? I mean, okay. and I enjoyed his performance. It was a good part. It was a very, um, quote, Oscar, quote, unquote, part, you know, uh, has all the best lines, mm-hmm. has key moments in the film, you know. Uh, yes, it kind of fit the parameters of the the best supporting actor category for me. So, well, I, and I liked it, but I, my preference, what would I like to see? Um, I think Cody Smith McPhee for Power of the Dog mm. would be really interesting. Jesse Plemons, yeah. I thought, 
it was a, it was an okay performance, just nothing that really bowled me over. So, well, I think the uh, type that he's supposed to yeah. play this very it's bland a very understated. Dude yeah. very, so yeah, it's kind of whereas Cody Smith McPhee has a lot going on there. So, <laughs> for his, I'll say, um, I was happy to see Troy Kotzer for uh, Coda. Yeah, um, because I liked that film, and for him to get recognized for his performance as a deaf actor, I thought that was thought yeah. that was awesome. No, it's so. it's really it's really great. So. Uh, uh, again, I, unfortunately, I feel like it's a long shot, but I do think it was nice to see the nomination happen for that, for sure. I agree. Um, all right, so let's talk about then, let's move on to more acting categories. We have Best Actress, and I'll read out the nominations for that. We have Jessica Chastain for The Eyes of Tammy Faye, Olivia Coleman for The Lost Daughter, Penelope Cruz for Parallel Mothers, Nicole Kidman for Being the Ricardos, and Kirsten, Kristen Stewart for Spencer. Uh, with this, Chris, any surprises or any ones that just absolutely stand out for you? So um, not really any surprises. Um, I, I guess there was a lot of buzz around um, because I guess how she didn't get nominated from other things that Kristen Stewart was probably not going to get nominated for Spencer. Mm-hmm. So I guess it was a surprise to other people that she pulled this nomination down, but not for me because I thought she <laughs> she did a really good yeah. job mm-hmm. in the film. Um, unfortunately I can't comment on whether or not, um, Penelope Cruz deserves a, a nod, um, for, I'm sure she is good in parallel mothers. That's the one film this season main yeah. film that I had, didn't get a chance to yes. see. So, um, I will say too, um, lost daughter. I, that's one of those, you know, we talked <laughs> on this very podcast about sometimes we just need to watch a film again because maybe we've missed something that others are seeing. I, 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 I think I missed Lost Daughter. I saw it. Mm. I know I saw it. <laughs> but I just, it didn't resonate with me mm. as much as it has with apparently a lot of other people. So sure. Olivia Coleman, she's great. But did I think her performance was just, you know, one of the best five of the year? No. But um, so I guess I was kind of surprised by that. But a lot of other people aren't because they thought it was amazing. So yeah. that's mm. kind of my take on it. Okay, well. I, I, my gut feel is this is going to come down to, well, you have three of these five nominations, which are portraying real people. That's true. And I think it's going to come leads. I think, don't you think it usually tends to real people performing? And I think it's going to be between two. I think it's going to be between Jessica Chastain or Nicole Kidman. That is my gut take right there. I would, I would agree. And having seen both, I don't know. They're both good. I mean, they're both good performances. They both really kind of get to show some range and and pick up on the uh, idiosyncrasies of the character Nicole they're doing. Kidman could get it because she's um, has more roles under her belt. No, it kind of be like body of work type thing. I mean, Jessica Chastain's done some films, but yeah. obviously Nicole Kidman's been around a little. I bit. don't know. I kind of see both of them as uh, really they stretch. They both they both have pedigrees behind them, and they both are playing against type of how they're normally seen. So. Hmm. It's kind of a toss up for me, but um, I'd say if I had to pick my favorite of the two, I'm still going to go with, with Chastain. I think Jessica okay. Chastain for the eyes of Tammy Faye, I do think works a little better. Okay. I think she gets to do more. She does. With the role. I would agree. Um, yeah. So that's my take. But I mean, I could see Nicole Kidman winning. I could see, I mean, I could see Kristen, Kristen Stewart winning on kind of a surprise win too. I think um, that would be a, I think that would be a surprise. Yeah. Penelope sure. Cruz. I'm like you, I can't comment on it. I haven't seen it. Um, Olivia Coleman. I'm no, she won not too long ago, uh, for the favorite, for the favorite. Um, and again, lost daughter, 
it's fine. It's a fine film, but I, I don't, <laughs> just don't know if it stands out. So sure. That's uh that's where I kind of see it going. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Uh, what about best actor, Chris? What do we got there? So we have Javier Bardem for being the Ricardos, Benedict Cumberbatch for the power of the dog, Andrew Garfield for tick, tick, boom, Will Smith for King Richard, and one Denzel Washington for the tragedy of Macbeth. Oh, I'm familiar with him. Yes, yeah. I've heard of him. <laughs> He's done some stuff. So as far as this category goes, hmm, where to fall? Well, I think the only surprise would be that if Will Smith won for King Richard, I think that I, would be a legitimate I, surprise. Not that he was bad, well, but I just think. You and know. I think Javier Bardem is kind of a long shot for being recovered. Uh, okay, I mean, I enjoyed yeah. it, but I just don't, I don't think it's going to win gotcha. over these other ones. Uh, Andrew Garfield, I think would be a little bit of a surprise. I mean, I think it's a worthy nomination, but, um, I kind of feel like this is between Benedict Cumberbatch for power of the dog and Denzel Washington for tragedy Macbeth. I agree. I think I will give the edge to, um, Benedict Cumberbatch Yeah, because I think the momentum of the other 12 nominations, um, and that's one of those things you don't know until you start watching the Oscars. And then it's like, yeah, if it just starts rolling out, it's like, okay, anything that Power of the Dog's nominated for, yeah. that's clearly going to win tonight. Like, you can kind of see the writing on the wall once the ceremony starts yeah. a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just think Denzel Washington's performance was good. I mean, duh, it's Denzel mm-hmm. Washington. But I think the originality of the material, because people, you know, he's saying the Shakespearean lines. Yeah, right. sure. And people all know the story, so people don't see it as fresh as you would as something like well power of the dog you're creating a new character that people have not seen before with new lines new dialogue new yeah i could see that as well so um i think it's between those two is my gut feel i mean i i would not be surprised if either one for me andrew garfield would be a nice surprise Mm -hmm. if he won because i do think his performance was great in tick tick boom and plus he got to sing and yeah do a lot of a theatrical work with it as well. It's been um, a big, big year for him. Oh, he absolutely. Did, uh, he was in eyes of Tammy Faye. Yep. It's also Spider-Man spoiler alert. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think it's no okay to home. let that, I think that's okay to let that out by <laughs> but now. But yeah, so. kind of a big year for him. It so it's nice year. to see him get noticed. Yeah. So. Uh, and again, Javier Bardem's performance, I really liked him being the Ricardos, but mm-hmm. I just don't know if it's quite the best actor category uh, status at this time. Sure. Um, Chris, there's a lot of other categories. Let's just hit, two others that okay. I know we're particularly interested in. And then I'm sure in the weeks to come, there may be some discussions about some of the other ones as we, as we talk about them, but let's talk about best director. Um, we have five nominations there. So uh, is it mine to read? It's yes, mine to read. It okay. Mm-hmm. Reading best director. Uh, we have Paul Thomas Anderson for licorice pizza, Kenneth Branagh for Belfast, Jane Campion for the power of the dog. Um, Hamaguchi. I'm just going to leave last name for drive my car and Steven Spielberg for West side story. So Chris, with this, we've got a nice wide range of directors here involved. We yes. have uh, Jane Campion who doesn't direct films often. I think the last one she did was gosh, quite a while back. I know uh, the one with, she did with Meg Ryan in the cut. In the cut. I think there was one film since then she did. And I don't recall. I'm drawing a blank on what it was, but it's a very infrequent directing pattern there for her, but a very uh, well-respected director coming back to direct Power of the Dog, the most nominated film yes. of this year. Paul Thomas Anderson, obviously uh, kind of a uh, well-respected director. Uh, people really excited about Licorice Pizza. Uh, maybe Licorice Pizza didn't get quite the uh, love and acclaim that I think everybody was expecting it to get. No acting. No acting at all. 
uh, nominations, but he did get best director. And I think there's a screenplay, original screenplay in there as well, a nomination for him. And then um, some young uh, upstart called Steven Spielberg might be familiar with him. Uh, Kenneth Branagh also been around for a while. Really, these are some well-established directors with the exception of, at least from American audiences, Hamaguchi having a uh, Japanese director kind of get a best director nomination was, was unique and a surprise for drive my car. So with that, Chris, where do you feel like things are going with this one? You know, I, I don't think there's enough behind licorice pizza. So I love Paul Thomas Anderson, but, um, Personally, if he won for this film, I'd be disappointed because I don't. Th- I think it's minor, minor Anderson. Minor Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I don't. I don't think he's gonna. He's gonna come away with it. Um, I, I think, I think it's probably between Power of the Dog and Belfast. Hmm. Um, I think, um, and I think it's one of those things that you may be able. Granted, depending on how awards are announced, you may be able to see the writing on the wall with like snowball effect. With maybe Belfast wins everything it's nominated for. I don't know. Um, I don't think Drive My Car will no. get it. So I think that's kind of. A, so I think that, it getting a nomination was 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 pretty uh, pretty momentous on its own. Oh yeah. So yeah. I think Drive My Car, Licorice Pizza are the outliers. Um, West Side Story is just so tough. And you say you right, like you say justifiably so. Box office doesn't determine who wins these things. I mean, mm-hmm. it can be a point in spreading around publicity, but everybody knew West side story was coming out. So it's not like people didn't know about it. Um, well, box office isn't going to be a driver for any of these. That's films, true. I'll tell you. None of these five Netflix. are ones that really tore up the box office true. in any way, shape or form. Yeah. So um, I, I guess I would give my edge to uh, power the dog. What are your thoughts? Uh, I think it's between, uh, I'm going to go back to my initial, my initial statement. I okay. think it's between power of the dog and West side story. Okay. I mean, that's really where it falls for me. I agree. PT Anderson. I don't think it's going to win a director for this film. Uh, I don't think drive my car will win. I don't think Kenneth Branagh is going to win for Belfast. I, I, I think Belfast will get a couple of token, maybe the supporting actors could get uh, those nominate those awards, but I don't think it's going to get anything else. Okay. Um, I really think it's between Spielberg and Campion. Okay. Or Power of the Dog or West Side Story. Do you go with kind of a, a more revisionist Western, kind of a very true independent film? Or do you go with this big, lavish kind of a redo of a classic film that many feel like kind of elevated the film or actually you know made it better? And so, I don't know. And I, like, if you were, what would I do if I had to narrow it down between those two? What would I do? Well, I would choose the originality of Power yeah, of the sure. Dog. I um, but agree. I think you have, like you're saying, you have the Hollywood sentiment the voters in the Academy sitting of they like kind of reflecting on themselves and, you know, old well, there's Hollywood that. And, and it's, um, the fact is the film, uh, did update sure. some of its themes it and, and, and more troubling aspects of the original. And I think it became a lot more of a statement about culture and, and, and family than, than maybe even the original did. So I think there's some, there's enough momentum behind it. And let's be honest. I mean, Spielberg hasn't been up on the stand and, a while. Yeah. And you know, this is at this point, he's now been nominated, I think more than any other director as of this year, I think is what I remember hearing. If I remember that correctly. So this could be kind of a, uh, I don't want to say career capping because I know Spielberg's still working on other films, but you've got to think that we're getting to a point where we're not going to have as many Spielberg films as we have in the last 20 years. So um, I don't know. That one's going to be an interesting one for me to see where it goes. 
All right. Well, then we got Best Picture. Last one here. Chris, you want to hear, give us those nominations for Best Picture? Sure. So they are Belfast, Coda, Don't Look Up, <laughs> Drive My Car, Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, Power the Dog, and West Side Story. Now, I will say the number one thing that struck out at, well, there are two. I yeah, guess, to be fair, there are two things. Okay. I think the thing that hit every, you know, Twitter was just on fire when Best Picture specifically, that category was announced. Yeah. Shocked, like jaw hitting the floor. I think like there was an earthquake caused around mm-hmm. North America because of the announcement, people's jaw hitting the floor. Um, don't look up yeah. being nominated. Okay. Outside of the fact that that was nominated, the thing that really struck me was there are three picture, three films here that premiered online. Yes. Um, being Netflix's Power of the Dog and Don't Look Up. And then Coda was Apple For TV+. Apple. Plus. Yep. So that was, you know, out of the 10 well, nominees, three were straight streaming. Straight streaming. And then you add in the fact of the ones that were both streaming and theater at the same time. Oh, wow. When yeah. they premiered day one. Oh, yeah. And that's, um, you had that with uh, King Richard. And you had that with Dune yep. as well. So half the Best Picture nominations, opening day, people are watching them online. That's interesting. Yeah, we thought that was pretty interesting as well. Yeah. Um, so here's the deal. We've talked about most of these films through other categories. So the ones that are just kind of, they're in the running because of all the other nominations they got. You got your Belfast. You've got uh, King Richard. A little surprise on Best Picture for that, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you got your Power of the Dog, of course, out there. You got West Side Story, which we've talked about quite a bit. Then you've got some of the outliers, the ones that kind of fell into the Best Picture nomination, even though we really hadn't discussed them in a lot of other categories. Coda did have an acting nomination. Mm-hmm. It was nice to see that one in, in there. In a screenplay. Right, in a screenplay. Yeah. Um, then, you know, Drive My Car, we mentioned with director as well. Uh, Dune well, was kind of one of those that just, you know, fell into the Best Picture category, even though it really didn't get a lot of love in any other category. Uh, Licorice Pizza, I was kind of surprised to see in the Best Picture field. Me too. Um, director, I understood. Screenplay, I understood. Picture is a little bit of a stretch for me, but um, I mean, I liked it. I liked it a lot. But uh, sure. Now, Nightmare Alley is the one I'm extremely personally very happy to see. I know there's no way it's going to win. <laughs> I wouldn't think but so. But it being my favorite film of last year, the oh, one I enjoyed the most. Right. Uh, you know, just to see it get some love because it sure didn't get any love in the box office or or uh, with uh, visibility in general. But I'm happy to see that in there, running in, the, in that. But I also can say that those four or five, I just, those three or four I just mentioned aren't going to win. So where's it going to come down to, Chris? Which one do you think is going to win? Right now, where we are today as of February 12th or whatever today is <laughs> um as of today uh i think it'll probably be power of the dog mm-hmm. but a lot of that's like yeah it's momentum during the telecast which i won't be able to tell till march 27th but yeah. i feel like that over west side story probably. yeah i feel like it's power of the dog or west side story whichever one has the headwinds going in on that night um We'll, and you're right. We'll know pretty early on once the first couple of awards are announced. It's like, oh, here we go. We're <laughs> on the roll. Uh, it, I could very easily see the night going all to West Side Story. I could see it all going to Power of the Dog. I mean, mm-hmm. but I do think it's between those two. Belfast to me is the dark horse. It could win. It's got enough backing it to make it win. I would be a little surprised yeah. if it was that one, uh, but not shocked. Anything outside of those three. I'd be shocked by one thing. I wonder too. Um, and you never know. Um, but last year I felt like 
the awards were a lot more independent, like Nomadland, mm-hmm. you know, type thing. So this year, I wonder if the pendulum will swing back and go more West Side Story way. Well, see, I can see that. And I would say that would definitely happen if box office, if, if there had been more love out there. For it, but you, you know, it was just kind of. Well, people thought it was going to be this big return to the theater, this big event. It's Spielberg, and trailers have been out there forever. Yeah. And instead, like, you no, know, that more happened with Spider-Man: No Way. But Home. I can also see so. a lot of the Academy members kind of taking the approach of saying, "Yeah, we wanted West Side Story to be this big return. It didn't get that chance we're to give be it the big return." <laughs> but we're, you know, yeah, I, I could see that. There's there's different ways that people could be viewing this, and we obviously are not in the heads of the. Academy yeah. member. So we don't know for sure, but I do think it's a three-way race with the two being the, the two front runners. And that's West Side Story and Power of the Dog. Belfast as a, as a third option. Every other one, I mean, outside of Don't Look Up, I'd be <laughs> happy with it. That would be the automatic biggest surprise you would win. Like if you were doing Vegas odds and you bet on Don't Look Up and yeah. it won like you would own the entire world because I just, nobody would be. look. I, I, I did not dislike don't look up as much as a lot of people that I've gotten to conversations with or online. I mean, sure. actually I've talked to a lot of people in the last few weeks, saw it just because of all the buzz it was sure. getting and actually really enjoyed I mean, it. That's why I saw it because and it was just kind of curious what was going on. I mean, on. I do think there's, it's, it's a good satire. I think there's some good humor in it. I just think it's very heavy handed and just beat you over the head with things too much. Right. Um, you know, I'm not saying it's a bad picture, just, Best picture? No, it's not <laughs> right. best picture. Um, okay picture. Okay picture. Um, so anyway, that's uh, that's the Oscar race right now. I do think it's going to be a going into it. Are you on camp uh, Power of the Dog? Or are you on camp West Side Story? Go I'll say I was a little surprised. Um, drive my car. Um, I saw it like that. It got, we mentioned two of the nominations. It got, it got four nominations, international feature film, adapted screenplay, as well as the two we mentioned director and best picture. So that was, that was kind of surprising for me that it got, I mean, I expected it to be best international feature, but it got four awards. So I was really pleasantly surprised. I do like the film. So, yeah. Well, and I think one other interesting note, I just wanted to point out, I mean, I know we're not going to go through all the other categories, of course, but uh, I thought the film uh, pulling a triple nomination, which I thought was just fascinating, was Flea. Right. That was another one. that Best yeah. international feature, uh, best documentary, right? Mm-hmm. And then best... Um, animated. Animated. Yeah. So that's amazing. I, I can't think of a situation where that happened, where three very different categories... Yeah. You know, I mean, it's one thing if you get nominated for best sound editing and best sound mixing, you know, those make sense. But to be in three just very distinct categories and one film kind of apply to all three is pretty yeah, I'm crazy. curious. I don't think I don't think it'll walk away with any. Um, but it is curious. It is interesting that it got nominated for three different categories. Yeah. So, I mean, because it's t- animated feature. It's tough for anything Disney not to walk away with that. Can I just uh, only because I want to get your reaction uh, real quick. Uh, on, Are we going to talk about omissions? Uh, we can, but I just want to get quick, quick uh, pulse reading from you on best original song because I know you uh, you're you're pulling for the Van Morrison from Belfast, right? Is that oh, the way you're going no, with that? I'm pulling for so may we start from an ad. Oh wait, uh, that was not even on there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we have a a, a a song from King Richard, which I don't recall, but um, <laughs> sure. And, I think oh it was gosh. during the, maybe during the credits might've been the credits. Um, gosh, my screen just refreshed here. I, uh, I lost I, I it. I lost them here. So, uh, Oh, we have the one from Encanto yeah. by uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda. 
We have the Van Morrison song, Day Out in the Joy from Belfast, No Time to Die, Billie Eilish, uh, and Somehow You Do uh, from Four Good Days. Which I have not heard of that film. And I think really Diane Warren, I mean, that's that's the known quantity there. So gotcha. she's a writer and uh, writer of that song. I uh, I don't know. I, I like the No Time to Die song. I, I think I think Billy Eisler's song is really good for that that film. So I, I do. Um, I, that I like that song as well. Um, and I think a Bond song is kind of hard to beat. It's, it's like we're well, not hard to beat, but like Skyfall that was so monumental. So um, No Time to Die. Yeah, I think that'll be tough. I think honestly, it was a lot of people talked about this. Um, we don't talk about Bruno from Kanto. Mm-hmm. That was not what was put forward by Disney. But that song is like it's really high on the music charts. Yeah. It's like really popular. It's memed all over the place. So if that had been nominated, I wonder if that would stand a better chance. Yeah. Um, but I think because of the thematic reasons, they use the Dos Oruguitos from mm-hmm. uh, Encanto. So, yeah, I I think it'll probably likely be either the Encanto song or the No Time to Die song. So Yeah, I kind of agree with you there. All right, you were saying some uh, some some surprises or snubs or yeah, things that... Yeah, you uh, know, it's, it's hard. Like you're saying, you know, there's so many people and so many movies, somebody's going to get left out. So I'm never like, oh, how could they do this? You know, because, you know, like, for instance, the one, first one I'll mention, the bit, actor in the lead role, yeah, Javier Bardem for being the Ricardos. I maybe didn't like the film that much or the overall film. It was okay. But his performance in that was really good. So mm-hmm. one that film that got completely omitted from all the Oscars that was kind of surprised was Pig. Oh, and yeah. specifically, I would have thought Nicolas Cage maybe for actor mm-hmm. in that. Um, two others I'll mention. Um, f- there's a film that uh, you may have heard of that I don't think you were as high on as I was, but by the other Anderson, French Dispatch. Uh-huh. Yeah, completely shut out. Yeah, um, it was. I mean, surprising for me. Completely. Yeah, completely. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm on it's record like saying I, I still had difficulties with that film and it didn't hit me quite as, as positively, but I'm still shocked that it didn't get anything. Nothing. Yeah. Lee, I mean, original screenplay to me would have been a no brainer. Kind of Production no-brainer. design would have been a no brainer. So anyway. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, this is a film that I was not as high on kind of like the lost daughter, but I'm still shocked that it got nothing because of all the buildup around it. And a lot of people liked it. Um, and I liked it. Okay. Uh, passing. I'm oh, surprised right. that yes. that film got absolutely nothing. Mm. So that's true. I didn't even think about that, but you're right. That one did not either. Yeah, there was a few surprises. I mean, there's going to be surprises every year, so or or disappointments or snubs and all that. Sure. I think in general, outside of you know French Dispatch and Pig, I think they are pretty spot on with the nominee. I mean, I think most all the films that needed to be recognized got recognized. I think most all the performances that needed to get some love got some. I know all these people talk ask, uh, trying to build up momentum for Spider-Man being nominated for something I'm like, <laughs> no, I mean, could have gotten in there instead of don't look up. Yeah. But even so, I, I mean, do I think empirically don't look up Spider-Man is a better film than I don't look you. up. Not really. <laughs> I mean, don't look up at least had something it was trying to do. Sure. In a inventive way. And it's not a franchise uh, film, even like, though I was, more frustrated with it by the end of it. But um, anyway, all right, well, that's the Academy Awards. I think uh, we'll be anxious to see what happens here in another month and a half with the ceremony. I'm sure conversations will come up in the meantime uh, as we go along, if we start to hear any headwinds moving in different directions on any of these potential winners. All right, Chris, I'm going to have to put a hold. We're going to have to do our trailers at our next episode. So I'm going to tease that. This is a teaser trailer segment. 
we will be talking about some new film trailers at our next recording next episode. Cause, uh, our Oscar talk and some of our review talk might've gone a little, a little long, but that's okay. We still got very, very good full show. We still have one more thing to do. And that is our recommendation. Um, as I mentioned earlier on, this is going to be a Chris Fry recommendation. That may have to be an ongoing segment in our show because <laughs> I just don't know if I can pull a recommendation out every single time we record. But Chris, you have. And I, I'm always happy to hear. I feel like my recommendations have always just been restating obvious choices. You get to bring some new films to the plate. That uh, is always a good move. So let's hear your recommendation for our episode. What should people be checking out right now? New episode, so new th- films. So this dovetails nicely into the discussion we just had about the Oscar nominations and omissions that we're semi-surprised about. We didn't talk about the best documentary feature category. We you know, mm. just, you mentioned Flea was nominated for it, but other than that, we didn't really touch on it. One documentary that I'm surprised did not make the final five cut is The Rescue, directed by Jimmy Chen, who did Free Solo as well, and Elizabeth uh, Wasserheil. And this is the story of the rescue of the Thai soccer team that was trapped in a cave for 16 days. Um, If I had seen this film prior to me voting for the North Carolina Critics Awards, it definitely would have been probably my uh, in the running. I would have put it in my top five of the year. Wow. Um, I think it is possibly my favorite documentary from 2021. And I didn't see it in 2021. I just recently saw it. But even knowing the end of the story, this was so stressful to watch. And it just kept you on the edge of your seat. I mean, it's, but you know how it's going to end. That's the thing. It's, you know, it's a documentary. (laughs) This was all over the news, you know, but for the whole 107 minute running time, I was just, it was so intense and so well made. I was just right there with it. The footage they have is unbelievable because there were people on the scene getting footage of this thing as it was happening. The events are nothing short of remarkable. And they do, they do say in the credits, they are some recreations, but, Mm -hmm. but I think you can tell when those, when those are, but for the most part, it's a lot of live footage. And then they do a really good job of using animation to show you kind of the cave system and everything. Mm -hmm. It just is really well done. Um, if you subscribe to Disney Plus, you are lucky. This is on there. It's a National Geographic kind of funded production, mm-hmm. but it's on Disney Plus, so you can uh, watch it for free. But uh, that is The Rescue. I highly recommend it. See, and this is, I both love and hate the recommendation <laughs> segment here. because I love it because, Chris, you always bring some great recommendations to the table. I hate it because it's just adding another film to my watch list that I know I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time already getting through as it is. <laughs> this is what I've been wanting to see for quite some time. We actually worked for a little while to see about bringing it to a film screening here in our you, area. You actually brought it to my attention because yeah. I was like, what is it? And you're like, oh, it's The Rescue. And yeah. So, yeah. But I have not got to see it yet. Fair so. enough. So now I have even more reason to try to go out and seek it out. Thank you, Chris, for that recommendation. The Rescue, saying it is on Disney+, Plus, yes. where you can watch it right now if you have a subscription for that service. All right, Chris. Well, I think that is all we're planning on doing today. So we had our reviews of Being the Ricardos. Come on, come on. We talked about Oscar nominations. We went through several of the categories and gave our some of our predictions on those. And then you gave a great recommendation of the documentary, The Rescue, available now online. So Chris, anybody who'd like to chime in on a conversation, let us know their thoughts, agreements, disagreements, whatever it may be. Uh, how did they get a hold of us? How do they do that? You can send us an email to info at foot You can follow us on Twitter at foot candle film, 
Al and I are also on Letterboxd where you can track what we're seeing. And sometimes we try to leave short reviews. Give us a star rating, write a review, share with friends on whatever service you receive your favorite podcast from to help us reach new listeners. We'd appreciate it. And also, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Foot Candle Film Festival is now open for submissions. Uh, the f- actual festival itself is the 21st through the 25th. So if you can't submit, considering consider uh, joining us for the festival. It'll be a good one. Yeah, no, we'll be looking forward to that. There'll be a lot of information coming out about the festival, definitely as we get closer into the summertime. But uh, go ahead and plan on that last weekend in September, coming out and uh, come spend some time in Western North Carolina with us and see some great films and have some great discussions. We uh, look forward to seeing everybody there. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up then. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Chris, thank you as always. Appreciate it. We'll look forward to talking next time. Well, next time we get together, we'll go over some trailers that we didn't get to talk about today, as well as some new movie reviews and uh, some other recommendations for you as well. All right. Thanks, everybody. Take care. We'll talk to you next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Taller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Taller, visit www.carpaltaller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.